Hello and welcome to the IBCD podcast. Today we're talking with Executive Director Jim Neuheiser about the 2019 Institute Identity Crisis. Jim, thanks for taking the time to talk to us about this very important and timely topic. I'm delighted to do so. I remember standing with you and Keith Palmer at the end of the 2018 Institute and you both were discussing ideas about this year's theme. You and Keith agreed that an inaccurate identity was an issue that biblical counselors often deal with when working with their counselees. Can you talk to us a little bit about the prevalence of a false identity? I think it probably works itself out in two different ways. I think that going back to when Scripture was written, that a great emphasis in the New Testament especially is a call to remember who you are. Like in Romans chapter 6, where Paul says you're no longer slaves to sin. He says you've died to sin, you're alive to righteousness. Uh, Romans 6.11, which is the first command in Romans, says consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so even in Scripture, the temptation being for a believer to go back to his old self, which was the slave to sin, dead in sin, and we need to be continually reminded of who we are in Christ and that we have been made alive as new creatures. We've been raised with him, is pictured in baptism. And now, having been set free from slavery, we are empowered to unto righteousness. And there are many of the places in the New Testament where this you know, spiritual new identity comes in. In 1 Corinthians 6, you know, that all these people who will not inherit the kingdom of God and drunkards and adulterers and murderers and homosexuals and all these other sins. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were cleansed. And that our identity is not our sin. Our identity is who we are now in Christ. And then that kind of rolls into what's happening in the present day where many people are making their identity their sin. And that it's working itself out a couple of different ways culturally. One would be even in terms of the recovery movement. I am an alcoholic. I am a, you know, a sex addict or whatever it may be. And that becomes your identity. And you're actually told you need to realize that's who you are and think about yourself that way the rest of your life. When the scripture says, no, I'm supposed to think about myself in light of who I am in Christ, having been set free from those things and having this new, I've been cleansed and transformed. I'm a new creature in Christ. So that's one way the culture comes at it. But then the newer thing has been people try to find their identity. Even Christians try to find their identity uh, in some subgroup they find themselves a part of. And that can be, I am homosexual or I am same-sex attracted or I am transsexual. It can be racial identity. It can be, you know, all these other different categories. And that's probably the some of the immediate relevance of the topic of the conference because I think the what's going on in society has created confusion among Christians in terms of how are we to think of ourselves when the idea of identity is so prevalent and pushed in our culture. And I think a summary of what we're going to be about is that we do not define ourselves, but rather we are what God declares we are. And so we go to the scriptures to define who we are. In human rebellion against God, people want to declare themselves whatever they want to be, and that could be contrary to the way God has made them or just 
even just in life in terms of my life is all about myself rather than being subordinate to God. I do see, and we all hear these labels being assigned to people um, in the church as well. Like you said, the culture is kind of spilling over. Um, But not everyone does know that they are living their lives, that their their practical theology or functional theology is born out of an inaccurate identity that they have a label for. So what are some of the ways that biblical counselors can help counselees draw out some of those ideas, some of the ways they're living um, functionally without even knowing it with the wrong identity? Well, I think it takes a lot of listening. And part of it is we listen is we're aware of culture. Romans 12 says we're not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And as we deal with counselees who have been influenced by a culture which creates false identities, identities which may identify us with our sin. Another aspect would even be just in terms of something that's a legitimate thing to recognize. I am female, I am African-American or whatever other. But the Bible talks about how God brings together slave and free, Jew and Greek, that, you know, especially I think of the Jews and the Greeks. These were people who, they, they were parts of these groups, as it says in Galatians 3. But the, the gospel brings us together as one people in Christ. And I love in Ephesians 2 where it describes that the cross of Christ, the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, which would be two groups of people who did not like each other in the first century, that when they became Christians, they became identified as one people of God in Christ. And, and for the believers, it's, it's radically different than what the world is doing. And when really the Bible says we should be coming together because it's secondary to who we are in Christ. What types of um, unbiblical responses do you see from people who have their identity or value in the wrong things? The unbiblical responses I would see would be people deliberately gathering together, even in churches where you separate according to some identity, some label the world has given, where the New Testament seems to say Jews and Gentiles together, then creating a church which is people who have this other identity other than Christ and we're of this race or we're of this uh, socioeconomic group or education, I think, and even in some, there have been church planning strategies where they say, well, we're going to go after this strata. And, and often it's the strata of the highly educated, prosperous, generally white or whatever. So I think that would be one place where it, we, we should be doing more to pull us together. The, the most wonderful experience I've had of this was not in the United States, but it's when we lived for six years in Saudi Arabia, and we had a church there that was the only game in town, more or less, uh, for Protestants, for people who would be more Reformed. And we had a church of two or 300 people. We had to meet in homes, embassies, 20 to 100 at a time. And we had 25 or 30 nationalities at any given time. There was none that was dominant. It was a beautiful picture of diversity, but you were coming together based on the fact we were believers and just seeing them as a brother in Christ. So I want to go back to something you said earlier, uh, Jim, and that is um, having a small group around a particular topic like pornography. Is that something that you would prefer to see broader and have other types of people struggling with sin? Or are you saying 
that that is an okay thing to do or that is a... Right. That's a great question and I can see why you asked in light of what else I said. I think the idea of having an event where you help people who are struggling with a particular sin, be it pornography, drug addiction, drunkenness, same-sex attraction, and to, to have a, a teaching which might be addressed you know, or a time together where you're helping the people who have that struggle. You also might be training the people who are helping the people who have the struggle. So I'm not saying we're not free to do that. I think that can be beneficial. But even then, I would want to be pushing them into the church of course, rather than having all these different little islands where you have all the different occupants according to their race, gender, age, or sin type or struggle. And I also would think that it would be appropriate rather than saying, well, boy, these people who struggle with pornography or these people who struggle with same-sex attraction, they're barely on the edge of this church. You know, we, we kind of pity them. We're all the same. Yeah. And I, th- I think we would want to emphasize collectively that we're all in the same struggle against sin. It's just manifesting itself differently for all of us. And I would want to recognize, in, in, even in terms of pro- with program, pulling us together rather than seeing these as, you know, the, these weird people over off there that have this nasty struggle that the rest of us hardly want to think about. We're all in a nasty struggle. Yeah, and I like it too. And I am totally against this, but it's this idea that we send our people out somewhere, get fixed, and then come back into the church as opposed to being part of the church and working through Christ-likeness and growth and godliness inside the church. Absolutely, which gets to a counseling model, which is why the Churches need to be trained, leaders in churches need to be trained to care for their own people rather than shipping them off even to a biblical counseling center uh, to get fixed on the outside and then plug back in, which is what you're getting at. Is yep. That's our passion. So Jim, you're going to be speaking at the conference this year um, on our identity as a saint. Without giving away too much about the talk, What is one practical way to think about that identity here and now in the circumstances of a fallen and sinful world? You know, like I can't give away what I don't have completely. So uh, (laughs) the the thought that's in my mind in light of what the other speaker is going to be addressing in terms of my emphasis would be thinking of ourselves in terms of our, our sainthood and glory. And a passage which has been on my heart that I've always loved is... In 1 John 3, 2, it says, Beloved, we are now children of God and has not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. And so I am a person because of the grace of God who has a destiny of one day being face to face with Jesus Christ. And the Bible says when that day comes, I will be made like him. And of course, what I comes to my mind, I think probably would come to many minds, would be the way I'm most unlike him is that I'm a sinner. And in that day, I will no longer be a sinner. I will no longer sin ever again. And that's a glorious destiny. And yet John says in verse 3, this is something that affects us in the present. To know that I'm a person who one day will have sinned for the last time and will be holy like Christ, that now that's, if, if someone who really has that hope will purify himself in the present of light, in light of what his destiny is. And so that's the line on which I'm thinking. 
And I look forward to having time to develop that further as we draw closer to the conference. I love that. That is one of my favorites. And I think about that because I'm a perfectionist. And to think that one day I will be perfect um, is a challenge to me to live daily in light of that circumstance. Hmm. And, and how does that change how I think? So um, I'm looking forward to listening to this talk and all the others as well. But um, you'll also be talking to us in a couple workshops about the identity that we might have, um, one as grandparents or the very difficult identity of being homosexual. What is a takeaway that you hope the audience will glean from each of those discussions? I've really been helped by Rosaria Butterfield on the topic as you know, a person who was formerly in a homosexual lesbian lifestyle. God saved her. And I love how she says she wasn't converted from being a homosexual or a lesbian to being heterosexual. She was converted from being an unbeliever to a believer. And yet I think it's very harmful in any context for someone to make their identity, especially a professing Christian, I am homosexual. And she gets into this a lot in terms of uh, identity being, you know, people want to take this on as their identity. Part of what I want to address is how do we help with compassion someone who has same-sex desire, and, and how do we, from the Bible, with compassion and wisdom, help especially a professing Christian who encounters those struggles. And there are Christians who experience what they would probably call unwanted desires in that way. But I think a crucial thing would be not ever to accept that as their identity. Their identity is who they are in Christ. Now, the grandparenting one, yes, I'm please. a bit of a novice at that. That we. How many grandchildren do you have now? We have three, which is three more than we had a year and a half ago. And we're thankful for that. Praise so we're just beginning to learn. And it was actually a conference in Texas a couple months ago asked me to speak on grandparenting. I guess they had a slot to fill and they asked me if I could do it. And I said, well, I'm kind of new at this. But... I did do a lot of study in scripture in terms of what the Bible says, even you know, about a, a generation away and uh, other research as well. And so, you know, I'm, again, I'm learning how to be a blessing to my children as they raise their children and how uh, we as believers can be uh, a help and a, an example to our grandchildren, but also how we can avoid violating Genesis 2, 24, which says a man leaves father and mother, and that one of the hardest things for many grandparents is to keep a distance when they're not needed or welcome, and to help where they can and to be winsome as they do so. And even though my experience has been short, actually a lot of my experience in the last few years has been with millennials, and they're facing some real challenges with their parents or the grandparents, in terms of uh, their not being helpful, sometimes being unhelpful. So it's, it's been good for me to see from the perspective of some of these people in their late 20s through their 30s, how they have difficult experiences with their parents who are in my generation that hopefully I can wise up and maybe share that with others. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll both need that one yeah, as well. So. <laughs> We're all learning that one on a learning curve on that one. So it has as always been great to hear um, your wisdom on these topics. And we look forward to hearing you at the conference and all of the wisdom that you will be sharing further um, about them. So thanks for taking your time. And um, we look forward to seeing you this summer. I look forward to being there. I think this will be about 30 that I've been to. <laughs> and uh, of course, George will have been to 40. So uh, more than 40. I don't know how many have been 30 something anyway. <laughs>